2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 14. Now, just preceding this, Paul has been talking about uh, our heavenly tent, which is what he calls our body, our heavenly dwelling, the thing to come. And right now, how this earthly tent is wasting away, and we groan, and we long for that heavenly dwelling that has been accomplished. We can have that heavenly dwelling now because of Christ. And then beginning at verse 14, he says this, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us here as well now and commit this time to him. Father, we praise you for your word, that you have revealed yourself to us in this way that we can constantly come to, that we can hold and study and learn from and be grown by. God, we believe this is not just some ancient text where we can think about what happened in the past. We believe that because your Holy Spirit inspired men to write it, and that Spirit is still alive and living and acting, that he speaks through his word now, today, to us in all the ways we need to be grown and shaped and encouraged. God, would you do that today? Would you speak by your Spirit through this Word? Inspire us, Father. Grow us. Build us up and challenge us. You've told us that when you send out your Word, it accomplishes the exact purpose for which you sent it out. Accomplish that purpose in us today, O oh God. As I always ask now, eternal God, move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Well, standing before the grave of Captain John Miller, Private James Ryan can barely contain his emotions as he speaks at the final resting place of this captain who, who gave his life in order to rescue James as he was serving in World War II. And just before taking his last breath, this captain, he, he grabs James and he looks him dead in the eye. Given all that he sacrificed in order to rescue him, he looks him in the eye and he says, earn this. Earn it. 1998 World War II drama, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Saving Private Ryan. It really chronicles what Captain Miller and the units that was sent to rescue James had to go through in order to accomplish this rescue. Many men were lost. Countless 
horrors that they experienced in order to rescue James, who was the last surviving son of four brothers who were serving in the war at that time. The film's end. James is now an elderly man. He's got grandchildren. He's standing before a sea of white crosses in Arlington Cemetery, and he comes to one particular cross that has Captain Miller's name written on it, and he says these words to the final resting place. Every day I think about what you said to me on that bridge. This is where Captain Miller had died and said these words, earn this. Every day I think about what you said to me on that bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope at least in your eyes I earned what you've all done for me. His wife comes over to join him as she can see he's overwhelmed with emotion and he looks her in the eye and asks her desperately, he says to her pleadingly, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. It's clear from what he says that James had been profoundly impacted by those words that Captain Miller spoke to him that day. That he understood that much more than just thankfulness for being rescued, that all of his life now was meant to be lived in response to this great cost that was achieved in order to bring about his rescue. It's also clear, however, that rather than just inspiring him to live a life of purpose, that those words, the the weight of them, was really a, a crushing weight of responsibility that he never really felt he was capable of living up to. We're jumping back into our series after a week away of the series we've entitled Purpose, Why Are We Here? We're dedicating the first five weeks of fall to go through our purpose statement, our, our why as a church. And the reason we're doing that is because, as we've said, when we understand our purpose, when we know why we're here, it becomes the filter through which we can gauge every decision, every activity that we undertake as a church. It also becomes the motivation for us to accomplish and undertake those things. So far, we've talked about what purpose is. And then two Sundays ago, we talked about gospel transformation, how the gospel truly is the whole foundation of our purpose as a church, as well as our, our whole identity as Christians. Today, I want to talk with you about the subject of renewal. Renewal. Now, if you're familiar at all with our purpose statement, we say it a lot here. If you're familiar with this purpose statement, you know that there's two things we say we want to see renewed as a church. We want to see our city and our world renewed. Those two things, that's what we've said. But if you remember when we talked about gospel transformation, we said there's an order to how things happen, right? First, in order for systems and and laws and even governments to be transformed, first, people need to be. People need to be transformed and renewed first. So two weeks ago, we talked about how sometimes we get in the way of that transformation. We, we can block that renewal from happening, even unknowingly. Today, I want to talk with you about how our own personal gospel transformation calls us to now become agents, uh, to become ambassadors of that renewal in the lives of others. And that's incredibly important for us to understand, because just like James Ryan standing on that bridge and hearing those words, earn this. What we're going to see in our passage today is that when we consider what our God gave in order to rescue us and giving His Son, when we consider that cost, much more than just thankfulness for being rescued, Christ's sacrifice calls us to live our whole lives now in response 
to what's being accomplished for us. And although perhaps it's not appropriate to see Christ hanging from the cross saying, earn this, it's absolutely appropriate to see him hanging there on the cross saying, remember this. Live your whole life now in response to what I'm doing for you here now. Absolutely appropriate to see that. And that now as the transformed people of God, we are called now to be agents of transformation. As renewed men and women, we are called now to be renewers. So, in order to help us understand what this call is, what it looks like in our everyday lives, we're going to look through our passage quickly here, and we're going to talk about three specific things. We'll talk about the need for renewal, we'll talk about the means of renewal, and then finally, the purpose of renewal. The need for, the means of, and the purpose of renewal. So if you closed your Bibles, open them up again, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, follow along with me, and we will... See what we can learn from this together. Okay, first of all, let's look at the need for renewal. The need for renewal. If you look again at our purpose statement, it says this. It says, we exist to renew our city and our world by demonstrating and declaring the transforming power of the gospel. That's what it says. And if you see, included in that statement is both what we want to see renewed, our city and our world, as well as how we want to see it accomplished by the transforming power of the gospel. Okay, pretty clear. But although it's not stated explicitly, do you see that clearly implicit in that statement is also the presupposition that our world and our city need to be renewed? That there's something broken there that actually needs to be fixed? It's absolutely implied there because I don't know about you, but I don't try to renew things that don't need it. When I head down to ICBC, my very favorite place of all time, and, and buy my year's worth of insurance, I don't go in the next day and ask to pay for another year. It, it's, it's been renewed. I don't need to go back. When, when a, a, a forest is clear-cut and they send in crews to reforest it, they, they don't send in another crew a week later to plant trees again. It, it's already been done. So presupposed in our purpose statement as a church is this belief that renewal of our city Renewal of our whole world is absolutely necessary. That's what we're saying. And I don't know, when, if, if you think about it a different way, when you first hear that, you might think, that sounds pretty ungrateful, actually. It's pretty negative. Why would you start with saying that that's what needs to happen? That seems really, that seems really annoying and negative. I mean, sure, there's places in the world that need renewal. Okay, Syria, that, that place needs renewal. Sure, West Bank. Uh, uh, all these places, sure, that needs renewal, but Canada, Vancouver needs renewal. We, we win one of the top three cities in the world to live in like almost every year. You're telling me Vancouver needs renewal? Where, where does this church get off saying that a place like this needs renewal? Well, for starters, I think where we draw that conclusion, honestly, is just looking around, just looking around and being honest about what's really going on around us. I mean, uh, I know we've got some American friends here, but when we look at, honestly, what looks like the carnival, that is the U.S. presidential election right now, when we look at the, the racial tensions in the country right now that are just ripping it apart, 
When we look around our world and see uh, the natural resources that we've just plundered, and although we're making efforts to try to turn that tide, so much damage is being done now, it seems almost impossible to do. When we see the, the chains of addiction with their stranglehold on countless men and women on our downtown east side, and that's just the addictions we can see. When we see the way that life is casually tossed away, both the unborn as well as later on the infirm. Or you know what? Actually, just never mind the global city picture. Just, just Most of us in here, if we're honest, will admit that we can't even get up in the morning and look in the mirror without seeing the need for renewal. As things like disease, addiction, uh, relational struggles pound us day after day and take their toll on our souls that are already so tired. We see it all around us, don't we? And when we look at that and we're honest about what's actually going on around us, I mean, I, I'd want to sincerely ask you, are you kidding me? Where, where don't we see need for renewal in our city and world? Where don't we see it? It's everywhere. This is not at all about not being grateful for all the things that we have. It's just about being honest about what's in front of us every day. The way the Bible accounts for this is in the beginning in Genesis, we hear that although God created this world good and perfect, we rebelled against Him and sin came into the world and fractured everything so that it doesn't work the way it was meant to work anymore. This means that human beings, all of creation itself, is now broken, is now disabled, is disqualified from being able to live according to the purpose for which God made it. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8. He says this, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit ourselves, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of of our bodies. Now already implicit in there is this idea of gospel transformation and renewal. I mean we see that in our passage. If you look at verse 17, if you look at verse 19, we see there Paul talking about how Jesus has come to make all things new, to, to restore this world back to himself. And in case you think that's just talking about people, didn't didn't Paul just say in Romans that all creation is groaning? All creation and we ourselves? The whole creation is broken and groaning. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. He says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ, and through Him reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, making peace through His shed blood on the cross. God is about restoring all things. The brokenness is everywhere. The need for renewal is everywhere. Yes, it's in us, but it's all throughout creation. All the beauty we see is still not fully what it was meant to be because of this sin that now infects everything. 
I mean, we've got people in our congregation uh, who have completed and who are now just beginning degrees in things like uh, natural resource conservation. Uh, We've got people who uh, are doing medical degrees, people who are doing engineering, and and people who are doing law degrees. Don't, Don't all those degrees just presuppose this brokenness and need for renewal? There's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. We want to be part of the solution. But we're agreeing, aren't we? There's something wrong and broken in our world that needs to be fixed. And as Christians in particular, I think we need to be intimately involved in seeing God's creation renewed and restored in all the ways that it's been damaged by sin. So, first thing to say is that presupposing a need for renewal in our city and our world, that's not negative. That's not just being ungrateful or arrogantly looking down our nose at the city and just saying, hmm, we could be doing a lot better. You guys are sure not doing well here. No, no, it's not that. It's just about being honest. It's honestly assessing the difficulties that we face every day, but doing it with a hopeful expectation that we want to be a part of making it better. An expectation that it doesn't have to stay that way. Think about this, when a doctor comes to a patient, an ortho doctor talking about his rehabilitation plan for your broken leg, when he's talking about how to restore you, he's not being negative or ungrateful. You wouldn't say to him, why don't you be more positive, doctor? At least I've got legs. You get that he's trying to assess the problem and then help make it better. And yet, how often do we do this exact same kind of just naively optimistic Joel Steen, just head in the sand, kind of positivity that we think is being positive and loving, and it's neither of those things. Rather than being negative and discouraging, our purpose statement stating right out of the gate that there's a need for renewal is truthful. We're being truthful because we're saying, hey, we get that there's a need for renewal. But it's hopeful as well because it says we want to be, our purpose as a church is to see renewal take place in all those places that is needed. And it starts right here with us. That's the need for renewal. I trust we're in agreement here that there's a need for renewal. Next, I want us to look at the means of renewal. The means of renewal. Now, this part is particularly exciting. It's incredible to me to think about because rather than just looking down from heaven and saying, wow, you guys have really screwed this up. Good luck with that. You've got a lot of things to do. I'm not sure how you're going to do it, but good luck. God has actually entered into history and done something for us about that problem. He's done something for us. Look with me, first of all, at verse 19 of our passage. It says here, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He did something about it, not counting men's sins against them. Okay, so Paul states that what the problem is here, again, he says the problem is sin, this sin problem that entered into God's good creation and and broke it from the beginning. It fractured everything and and removed even our relationship with God, something that needed to be restored. But look again at verse 19. Paul says as well, God did something about that problem for us through Jesus to fix what was broken. And verse 14 and 15, look there with me now, tells us what Jesus did in order to fix what was broken. The way he fixed what was broken was by dying for us. He had to die for us in order to fix what was broken. Earlier in uh, the New Testament, in Romans chapter 6, 23, maybe this is a verse you learned if you grew up in church, Paul writes this, For the wages of sin is death, but 
The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is getting at there is that the wage, the, the payment for this sin problem, that it, that, that it pays out, the dividends that are paid out by this sin problem, is death, is sickness, is addiction, is relational strain, is all these things that we so desperately want renewal from. That's, that's what sin pays out to us. But God's gift that brings about renewal from all those things is found in the death of His Son on our behalf. That, that the way that happens is by Jesus giving of his own life. And verse 21 just sums it all up so amazingly. And this is what theologians tend to call this verse here, the great exchange. It talks about how he does that. Look with me there. Paul says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, for us, or to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, we're never going to scratch even the surface of all that means. That's a sermon in and of itself right there. But just big picture, what we're saying is that the way God made renewal possible was really by kind of like a bank account transfer that he did as well as a legal substitution on our behalf. Really? Okay, so, so God in his death on the cross, as he put Jesus on the cross, Jesus willingly substitutes himself in our place, taking the punishment, taking the wage that we all deserved on himself. And then in doing that, effectively transfers out our negative sin balance onto himself and puts his infinite righteousness balance into us now. This is the great exchange that's taken place, and it's the starting point for renewal. And he's done it all for us. He's accomplished it all for us. So, just like in our purpose statement, Paul starts out saying, okay, yes, yes, there is a problem. Something is broken and need to be fixed, but, but praise be to God, he's done something to fix it. He's made a way to fix what's broken by sending his son to absorb that brokenness in himself and renew us back to who it is that we were created to be. That's what he's done for us. That's why we've said we want to see renewal take place in our city and our world through the transforming power of the gospel because the gospel is that message. It's that message of what God did in sending Jesus to be that substitute on our behalf, to renew us back to who we were meant to be and deal with that sin problem. And as we said, as people are renewed more and more, then it spreads to our city, to our world, to broken systems, to broken civilizations. Those things begin to become renewed as well. But I think it's worth pointing out as well. Did you notice in that statement about the means of renewal, Paul doesn't list any other means in there? He doesn't say there's any other means by which this could happen. Do you know what? That's not Paul being exclusionary or, or just trying to build up and promote his guy over everybody else. It's because there is no other means. <laughs> he doesn't list any other means because there is no other means by which this can happen. In Acts 4.12, we read this, Salvation is found in no one else. For our purposes this morning, we could say renewal will be found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is that means of renewal. And he is the only means of bringing it about. Because God has provided that means of renewal in Jesus, 
Just like we said at the beginning of this whole series, one of the benefits of that renewal is that we're now able to live out according to the purpose for which God made us, which is to know God more and to make Him known to others. We can do it now because of God has provided that means of renewal. And when we understand that, that leads us finally to look at the purpose of renewal. Why did He renew us to begin with then? Okay. What's the purpose of renewal? I want to ask you to imagine a scenario with me for a second now. How, how unbelievable, I'm not sure how I would respond, how unbelievable, how ungrateful it would be if Private James Ryan, he's standing there on the bridge, Captain Miller is, is just given his life in order to accomplish his rescue, the lives of most of his other unit also lost in order to achieve Ryan's rescue. He's standing there on the bridge, looking down at Captain Miller, and Captain Miller looks up at him and says, earn this. Earn it. Look what I've done for you. Earn, earn this. Imagine that Private Ryan's expression changes from one of sadness and grief to one of confusion and annoyance. And he says, like, what? Why? Why should I? I mean, listen, thanks very much for saving me, and sorry to see that you had to lose your life to do that, but don't you think you're asking a bit much? Earn this? I mean, we would, we'd be standing there saying, are you kidding me? If you still got rounds in your gun, take him out. Like, you would be saying, that's unbelievable to respond that way, and yet, don't we respond this exact same way to God? Don't we do that? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's clearly blown up by this idea. He is sold out to the idea that God saving us in Jesus' death demands nothing less than our everything, that all of our lives should be lived in complete service of Him. Look at verse 14 there. He says, For Christ's love compels us. It compels us. This, this love that we see demonstrated in Jesus' death on our behalf. Some of your translations have it say, Christ's love constrains us. That idea of being pressed in on every side so there's nowhere to go but one direction. I can't go anyway other than this when I think of what God has accomplished for me in the cross. But if you're at all like me, you read in places like verse 15. Look with me there now. Paul's saying that because Jesus died for us, that now we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who reconciled us. We live our lives for Him now. And that's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like the first shot across the bow. And we sort of pause as we read that, and we're like, okay, well, I mean, like, what does he mean? Like, is he saying, like, now, now we don't live our lives at all for ourselves, or just not as much anymore? We, we're trying to start, the bargaining already begins and then we move ahead to verse 17, and maybe we kind of like that one. We're pretty cool with it because we can still interpret it as just, you know what? God renewed us. He, he made us new. He got rid of the bad stuff, put in all the new stuff. That's great. Even the beginning of verse 18. Look there. We read, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself, to Christ. We're thinking, yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. You know, maybe we're like James Ryan on the bridge. We're like, thank you, Captain Miller. Thank you so much for rescuing me until we read on. Until we read on. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And there's more. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
He's reconciled us to himself through God, and, and there's something more now. And he's given us something now. He's given us a job to do now. Before we can even dig into that, he says it again. He says it again in verse 19. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And, and, and starting to settle in and to register what he's saying now, and we're just kind of, we're getting more and more worried, and we're just like, okay, Paul, just hang on a second. Just, whoa, 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 can we, can we just talk about this for a second? I mean, uh, uh, can we just, I mean, this can't mean what you're saying, but without even pausing, without even waiting to, to hear our opinion on this subject, verse 20 drops heavily right in front of our faces and demands, everyone who is in Christ, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Anyone who is in Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors. Not should be, not ought to be, not will be someday. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors now. That's what you are now. We are those who through, through God it now makes his appeal through us to, his, to an as yet unredeemed world. And our message is one message alone. You too can be reconciled to God. You too can be transformed. You too can be renewed. That's what it means to be renewed by the transforming power of the gospel, Paul says. Period. If you are in Christ, you are now an ambassador for him. And for some of us, we're going to read that, and we're going to start digging through our box of receipts, trying to dig down to the bottom to see what the return policy is, because we're going to be like, well, I don't know. I mean, if that, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm probably going to give it back then. Some of us will read that, and like that scenario that we imagine, we just say, no. No. I mean, Jesus, thanks so much for rescuing me. I'm sorry that you had to give your life to do it, but No. You're asking way too much. Sorry. One commentator on this passage put it this way. He said, what Paul is getting at is that for the one whom Christ has redeemed, egocentricity must now give way to Christocentricity. Egocentricity, a life that is centered around me, around the self, must now give way to a life that is totally centered around Christ. Or that amazing love of God demonstrating for us in Jesus, as the hymn writer says, truly does demand my soul, my life, my all. Remember those words James Ryan said at the gravestone of Captain Miller? He said, every day I think about those words that you said to me. Every day I think about it. He went back to that moment again and again in his mind. He, he considered the cost of his rescue. He considered the words that Captain Miller had said to them. And then that daily rehearsal in his mind became the motivation, the inspiration for him to try and live every day in light of that great sacrifice that had been accomplished on his behalf. What we see here in our passage is that no less, nothing less is expected of us who have been renewed and reconciled through the death of Jesus on our behalf. There's nothing less required. That's what we talked about specifically about gospel transformation. When we say we haven't just been delivered from something, we've also been delivered to something. And what 
that something is, is ambassadors for God, is agents of transformation, is renewers. Think about that. Think about an ambassador for a second. What does an ambassador do? He travels to a country that's not his own, under the authority and rulership of the country or the sovereign that sent him in order to represent that king or country and to help increase and build ties between their country and the country that sent them. And I think that's a perfect description of what we now as renewed men and women of God do in this world. We are those who've been sent by a foreign king to build ties, to help renew, renew ties between that country that's been lost and this one that right now is so in need of renewal. How do we do that practically? Well, we're going to be digging into that in much greater detail over the next two weeks. But big picture, I'll tell you exactly how I think we live as ambassadors for God. We live out our purpose that God has now enabled us to live out again by renewing us. We live it out in front of people every day. So we see renewal now. That's just our mind in our minds. That's our job now. Our job now as renewed sons and daughters of God is renewal. And don't get trapped in that sacred secular divide thing where we start saying, okay, well, what pastors do, what missionaries do, evangelism, that's, that's all the renewal that we're talking about. Remember, Paul said all creation is growing. God wants to renew all of his creation. So that means, yes, when we live out our lives before others and we see them renewed, that's a part of how we want to be doing renewal, but there's tons of other ways that we want to see that happening. When we uh, uh, build and help landscape terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems, when we reset bones, when we deliver babies, when we play beautiful music, when we design and engineer clean, clean water systems, when we do all these things, we are being those renewers. But our motivational structure is based out of the fact that it's not about us anymore. It's not egocentricity. It's Christocentricity. In light of what's been accomplished for me, I want to live my life in seeing renewal take place. It starts with people, yes, but it extends to all of God's creation. It's all under the curse of sin and all is in need of being renewed. Do you see your life now as redeemed and renewed sons and daughters of God as those who are renewers? Paul says that's what we've been called to now. That's our job now. That's the purpose for which you've been renewed. In the end, Private Ryan, standing there in that gravesite in Arlington Cemetery, he had only his wife's affirmation to know whether or not he'd actually done what he wanted to do. He had only his wife's affirmation to know whether he had lived a life that was worthy of the cost that was given to rescue him. He said he did the best he knew how. He, he tried to live a life. He hoped it was enough. But as I said, rather than freeing him, I really think that those words that Captain Miller spoke to him actually sentenced him to fight a lifetime in a whole different war now. He'd rescued him out of World War II, but he'd sent him into a whole different war where he constantly fought day in and day out with his heart and his mind. Because every day now, imagine the pressure and the weight of having to ask yourself every day, did I do enough today? Did I love people well enough? Did I sacrifice? Did I give enough? Did I do enough to, to earn what was done for me? 
by those men who lost their lives? And if you've seen the movie, you know that when he looks into his wife's eyes, he's a man who is desperate. He's grateful for his rescue, yeah, but he just he asks that question every day and he doesn't know the answer. And if you didn't know, every other religion in the world other than Christianity sentences you to that exact same war of having to ask in your heart and mind day in and day out, did I do enough today to earn God's love for me and acceptance of me? At the end of my life, did I, did I do enough? Did I live a good enough life to get into heaven? And you never know the answer. That's the war that's fought in the hearts and minds of every other religion in the world. You never know. You never know if you've done enough. Now, yes, does the Bible include gospel imperatives, things, things that ought to be true of us as renewed and redeemed sons and daughters of God? Yes. Paul says it in uh, Philippians, for instance, about we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. Uh, uh, the passage we looked at two weeks ago talked about we're to try to please God in every way. Yes, but herein lies the difference. This is what makes Christianity unique from every other religion in the world. Because looking up at our Savior, our Rescuer, our Renewer, dying for our sins on the cross, that's, that's no less a sacrifice than what Captain Miller had done for Private Ryan, right? It's no less of a sacrifice. In fact, it's even greater because, A, it's actually happened. It actually happened in history and what Jesus surrendered and what he took on in order to be our substitute is infinitely greater than someone going to war and giving their life as great a sacrifice as that is. But what had so obviously captivated Paul's heart and what I'm praying captivates each and every one of our hearts here this morning as well is that rather than hanging from the cross and looking down and saying, earn this with his dying breath, by living a perfectly obedient life to his Father and then dying in our place, Jesus looks down from the cross and with his dying breath, he says, I've earned this for you now. I've earned it for you. Now that's a message rather than crushing and weighing on us all our lives. That's a message that's truly freeing. It has all the same benefits of a cost that's been paid for you, but it actually frees you to live it out now. Actually, Jesus says, don't, don't even try to earn this because we fall back into that every day, even for those of us who know. Don't even try to earn this. You could never earn it with your efforts. You needed me. I was the only means of renewal, and I've done it for you. Simply receive by faith what I've earned for you here and then live your life in grateful daily remembrance of it. And I believe as we do that, as we live out those lives, those transformed lives in front of men and women, we will see them. Remember we talked about those brushes and how when at first you use them the way they were intended, it looks odd. When we live out our lives, it's going to look odd to people at first. But as we do it more and more and they see the truth and the reality that, that we were living according to the way we were actually designed to live, it's going to affect men and women and they're going to be renewed as well as they begin to dig in and ask, why do you do it that way? And as men and women are renewed, then we believe we truly will see our purpose lived out. We will see our city and our world renewed.